0: This is K-Nex In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer. I'm Charles
1: Feldman. The California COVID state of emergency is over, even though the pandemic is not.
0: Also on the show, the feds say goodbye to TikTok and cosmetic
1: surgery for your signature, Charles. I, I didn't know my signature needed an operation. Apparently it does. I wonder if it's expensive.
0: And is it covered?
1: Oh, that's the big question. Yeah. We start, though, with Governor Newsom declaring the state of emergency over for COVID. But with us is Dr. Andrew Neumer at UC Irvine. Doctor, thanks for being with us. So the state of emergency is over, but the pandemic certainly is not. So there seems to be some conflict there.
2: Thanks for having me back on KNX. Uh, yeah, you've summarized it really well. The official legal state of emergency is over at, at the state level. At the federal level, it goes until May 11th. Uh, the pandemic is certainly not over. Uh, COVID is is not over, so uh, people should still have uh, a test kit in their medicine cabinet and so on.
0: So, what's going to change for you and me on the street?
2: Well, very little, and that's that's the whole uh, point. I mean, in terms of uh, you, you know, that's that's why the uh, declaration was is is lapsing because you know, people, uh, you know, businesses are open, you know, you don't have to show your vaccine card uh, any longer to get get a seat in your favorite restaurant. And, uh, you know, essentially, you know, life has moved on. And so I think it doesn't make sense to keep the COVID emergency declaration on the books, uh, you know, indefinitely. And and so I mean, essentially, nothing will change for the average KNX listener.
1: But but here's where the messaging becomes sort of muddied. And it has been, as you know, I think from day one uh, with this pandemic at all levels of of government. Uh, On the one hand, the public is being told at the federal level, at the state level, depending on where you're in the country, you happen to be, that uh, the state of emergency is over, uh, go about your business, life has returned pretty much to normal. Then on the other hand, we're told, uh, yeah, but you got to be prepared to wear a mask just in case. And if you, uh, you know, test positive for COVID, you should stay home for 10 days and, and all the stuff that goes along with what we were doing when everybody was really at a heightened state of alert because of the pandemic. That, that's that got to lead, I would think, to not only a certain amount of public confusion, but also help. it helps to, does it not breed this almost contempt that a lot of the public now has for everything from the scientific community right up to government leaders.
2: Well, I I agree with what you said there, Charles. But I mean, I mean, imagine the shoe was on the other foot. Imagine that Sacramento announced today that uh, the COVID emergency was being renewed for another six months. I mean, can you can you imagine the, uh, you know, the outrage Uh, so you know, it's not an ideal situation to have, you know, a brand new disease, you know, being part of the everyday landscape. I mean, COVID is going to be with us, you know, as as long as everyone hearing my voice right now is, is going to be alive, there will be COVID, it will be like influenza and, and COVID is a more deadly disease than influenza. And so it will have major impacts on, you know, on how long people live, you know, above age 65, and so on. But I, I mean, it's, it's clear that uh, you know masking uh, as a mandatory intervention and and other you know really stern interventions are are not uh, working in terms of people aren't doing them, and so yeah, I, I think it's the right call to to let the emergency lapse. I think you know we cannot live in a perpetual emergency. If 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 the if the bird flu becomes an issue, you know, God forbid, but we may have to declare a public health emergency for that and I think people would just sort of shrug if we were still in a public health emergency for for covid so it's the right call you make a great point that communication has been you know all over the place and the, but uh you know and and it's it's I, I think we need to learn the lessons from that for 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 the future but uh I, I, I I wanted to ask you very quickly: uh,
0: sure. When the states of emergency all go away, you know, the federal uh, is coming down soon. Uh, what's going to change as far as getting uh, vaccinated and getting the boosters? Uh, insurance, uh, understand, is going to cover some of that. But what about people who are not insured? Are they going to have to pony up dough to get uh, a shot to protect themselves?
2: Well, that's a, that's a great question, Rob. Um, the uh, at the federal level, the the emergency use authorization, the the the, the law that makes the vaccine, some of the vaccines available, some of the vaccines are now regularly licensed, but some of the boosters are covered under EUA and the test kits. That's a different section of the U.S. code. So so those vaccines will still be available. And for most people who are covered, they will still be, uh you know, covered by your HMO or your health insurance. The, the free COVID test kits, people are entitled to uh, eight kits per uh, month. If they have health insurance, that's a federal mandate. That does lapse at the uh, in, in mid-May.
1: Yeah, I, I have a, a, a sort of variation of, of that question that I've been thinking about for the past couple of days. As these emergency declarations end, uh, the state today in California in May, uh, the federal one, all of these tests, for example, uh, that you take, uh, even things like, like Pax Paxlovid, I believe, they all say in the box in tiny letters, that they are being authorized under the emergency declaration, because in some cases these things haven't actually gone through the full, if it's a med, uh, FDA process. What happens come May when the federal declaration ends? There's no longer a state of emergency. Even things like COVID tests, do they have to be all resubmitted
2: again? No, Charles, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, the the section of the U.S. Code that deals with uh public health emergency declarations in the section of the U.S. Code that deals with the emergency use authorization are two separate sections. So legally, those tests are still valid, even if they're only approved under EUA. And the, vac- the boosters that are EUA uh, are still valid after May 11th. It's, it's, uh, it's confusing. Um, I, and it's a question that is frequently asked, and it's a good question. But those tests in your medicine cabinet are still valid. Those boosters are still Uh, Authorized.
0: All right. Thank you so much. Um, That is Dr. Andrew Neumer at uh, UC Irvine talking about the end of COVID states of emergency.
1: This is KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman.
0: Coming up, a bigger grid
1: for California. I didn't know we needed a bigger anything. We apparently do. Okay. Well, you know, uh, we've been talking about this for the past day or two about uh, the Supreme Court arguing uh, the case about student loan forgiveness. It's something that the Biden administration wants to do to forgive at least $10,000 in student debt for everyone who took out a federal loan. Well, today was the day that the justices were able to hear the arguments. With us is CBS News legal analyst Thane Rosenbaum. Thanks for being with us. Um, How did it go over? What was your perception of uh, how the uh, justices uh, listened and evaluated the arguments?
3: Well, the the conservative justices <clears throat> seem very skeptical about President Biden's uh, authority to uh, forgive what is essentially three quarters of a trillion dollars in uh, in student loan debt. <clears throat> um, I think they were thrown, and that's one of the reasons they took the case by the scale, the scope of the numbers. We're talking about forty million people, three quarters of a a trillion in debt you know the question comes to uh separation of powers right um uh, the constitution says that uh congress has power of the purse uh congress deals with uh spending and taxation and allocations you know what that means congress handles the money right so here you got three quarters of a trillion dollars and the supreme court saying isn't that an overreach uh the president can you just unilaterally uh, forgive, cancel, three-quarters of a trillion, that's what the conservative justices were hearing. They were saying that this is, you know, there's a, something called the major questions doctrine, which says that if there's some government policy or position that has major economic or political consequences, it's, it's, it resides with legislators that are elected by the people individually from where, they're, where they live and not with the executive branch. And so we're starting to see this fight between the executive branch and the legislative branch a number of times. Remember, this is all the Muslim travel ban was the same issue, right? The building of the wall in Mexico, same issue. Can the president have these powers without congressional authorization?
0: Uh, Who, in your opinion, has the high ground constitutionally here?
3: It's a really good question. It's a tough one, right? Because the president um, Biden is saying there's a statute that was, was passed by Congress, right? Uh, right after 9-11 called the HEROES Act. And the HEROES Act said, if you're gonna go fight for the war on terror for us and you have student debt, we can suspend it or cancel it. We are not gonna let you default while you're fighting the war on terror. And so in situations of military emergency or national emergency, we the Ed, Department of Education has that authority. So President Biden is saying, okay, this is a national emergency. It's called the pandemic. Why is this any different, right? So if you look at it that way, you're saying he's just following what was already a legislative enactment. Congress is saying, not this kind of an enactment. This is massive in scale. And so therefore, this is the kind of thing that you need congressional approval. It's a tough one, but I would say that given you have the conservative, you know, Supreme Court, They have, remember last term, same judges for the most part, last year, there was the moratorium on um, evicting people from their apartments, right? They lifted that. There was the requirement that large corporations make sure that everyone is uh, vaccinated. They lifted that. They're saying that the executive branch overreached, and it may be that they say the same thing here, canceling this much debt uh, has that kind of uh, effect. Had such consequences, that it has to be done by Congress or no, or, or by no one else.
1: So, if the court rules in the Biden administration's favor, then of course uh, the president is happy. The students who uh, will have their loans forgiven, they obviously will will be happy. If the court rules against uh, the the Biden administration, and here's my sort of. Uh, cynics question does it still work for the president because he then has a built-in talking point for the next election if he in fact declares it is going to run again which it seems he's going to by appealing then to all those now uh, uh, students left with their loans having to be repaid he has a kind of built-in political point to raise for his campaign doesn't he
3: well frankly you know he's saying I'm making good on a campaign promise anyway.
1: By right? just doing what, it, by just trying yeah. to do it. Yeah.
3: What? Yeah. What do you think I'm doing here? I'm taking on the Supreme Court. Look at me.
1: So he wins it, either way.
3: It seems to me that, right, because he's saying, I I didn't, I I didn't, when I made that campaign promise, I tried to follow through. I found a really cool statute that I thought would work. It didn't. But I did. I thought it made a lot of sense. It called the HEROES Act. It deals with emergencies. This is an emergency maybe i'll try something else maybe i'll try to f- another window to jump in but i thought this thing would work and it didn't and unfortunately you know uh they they tossed out the case and but in uh, ultimately uh you know if the court ha- look if the court tosses the case uh you know then the then remember if they toss the case then the debt is forgiven right it's a little confusing right, right. it's only— Right, then gets can that's what the liberal justices want to do. They want to say, toss the case and let the president do what he wanted to do. The case got to the Supreme Court because uh, a federal court put an injunction on it and said, you know, we people had already applied to get their money, right, to be forgiven of their loans. So it, it was already in play. And then a federal judge said, you know what? This thing might go to the Supreme Court. Let's the Supreme Court hear it. And they put a temporary injunction on it. All right. Thanks so, you so much.
0: Uh, Got to leave it there. Uh, CBS News legal analyst, Thane Rosenbaum.
1: And when we come back, the clock is running out on federal phones for TikTok. You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Charles Feldman. I'm Rob Archer. Did you know, that, uh, Rob, that you can actually pay somebody mm-hmm. to to change your signature. And and if your signature, for example, is a legible one. Right, right. You can actually pay them to make it illegible.
0: No, oh, that's what I got to have.
1: And you can and you can pay for I that. I will pay money. good money for that. Yeah, and people are.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's coming up. Right now, though, the White House is giving federal agencies 30 days to get rid of TikTok from all government-issued mobile devices. With us now is Ian Schur, editor-at-large for the tech site uh, CNET. Thank you so much for joining us
4: today. Of course. Thanks for having me. So
0: one argument goes, you know, we're, we're banning TikTok from government devices. And uh, I heard someone made a very interesting comment like, you know, regardless of the security concerns uh, about the app, uh, also uh, maybe we shouldn't have any of these personal uh, entertainment apps on government issued phones. What do you say to that?
4: Well, that's that's an easy thing to say. But it, unfortunately, the reality of today's world is that these apps are not just personal entertainment, right? They are the way that a lot of agencies and federal, um, you name it, right, Uh, groups, the White House, all have different accounts on social media sites to help get the word out. And in fact, they've relied on it. Particularly, we saw this during the pandemic. Uh, In the early days, a lot of departments of health were using Facebook to tell people what was going on, to help them kind of get access to resources and so on. So, it, you know, it's easy to say, oh, yeah, you know, <laughs> you shouldn't be TikToking your way through work if you're a federal employee anyway. But the truth is that there is actually some logic behind them having it. And that's why it's more than simply a, a you know, kind of a, a, a thing where the government says, OK, we are going to ban it from the phones. And it's, it, you know, it's not just a ceremonial decision. This is actually meaningful and means the government's essentially cutting itself off from that place where most of the teenagers in this country are.
1: Right. but And that kind of leads to what I think is the central question, and and everything else is kind of window dressing, I think. Uh, You've got the federal government who wants it banned from federal phones. You've got various states doing the same thing. Canada is doing that, European countries. So if I'm a parent and I've got a teenager at home on TikTok, the question I'm now asking is, is TikTok then evil? Is there something fundamentally wrong with it? that all of these governmental agencies are saying, "Uh uh-uh, no more TikTok?
4: I I would not blame you for coming to that conclusion. And the only reason, honestly, that I have not, is that the government has not actually made its case, right? None of the agencies, none of the intelligence groups, none of the governments in the world have actually pointed to what is wrong with TikTok. They have only made a connection between the, the the country of China, right? The, the Chinese Communist Party, which admittedly has very strong ties to every co- company in that country. And they have a lot more control over those companies than the United States government has over companies here. So I, I get that, but actually part of what I have been constantly looking for since Donald Trump, you remember back, you know, few years ago now, was trying to get TikTok either banned or sold you remember they were going to try and sell it to Microsoft yes, right. at yeah, one point. Yeah. Right? All of that, he never actually told us what was the problem with it. Now we have seen reporting from other publications and and uh where they have said that people within the Chinese Communist Party have access to some data of personal data of people that they're able to get access to information that there isn't enough security within TikTok to protect against those things and if that is true it is very damning. But right now, nobody's really made a clear case for how this is such a bad, dangerous app. Yeah, and it's not like
0: that the other apps that we use, uh, Facebook, Twitter, etc., don't all also have a lot of access to a lot of your information. We don't always know what they do with it.
4: Yes, and and part of what I always bring up to people is, I, I you know, there was this one moment that really crystallized for me how dangerous this all is, which is that the, you know there are running apps out there where you can kind of have a map of where you've been running and stuff and share it with your friends and everything. Well, one person realized that if you followed that map and looked at everybody's running map, you actually looked in the middle of nowhere in the desert, you'd see these people running around squares just randomly in the middle of the desert. And it turned out those were nuclear facilities, right? Because various you know people in the military want to track their running too. And it's those types of things where you don't know where the information can be dangerous, right? Like, they just want to track their runs. And All that right. is part of why you hear these concerns every once in a while pop up.
0: All right, you got it. Thank you so much, Ian your Editor-at-Large for uh, the Tech T-Net. You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. Well, you know, uh, rolling outages, power cuts, not enough electricity to go around. Is that just the way things are going to be?
1: Well, not if a new report is to be believed. It says the answer is to expand the California electricity grid all across the West. So we're joined by Severin Borenstein, who's a top energy expert at UC Berkeley. Also, by the way, is on the board the California Independent System Operator, which runs the California State Grid. Thanks for being with us. So I guess I don't understand it. Of course, there are many things I don't understand, but this is just one of them. Why would expanding California's electricity grid across the West uh, head off a bleak future of rolling outages and power cuts?
5: Well, first of all, we already are connected to the grid in the rest of the West. Uh, We just don't have the mechanisms in place to trade power with them as easily as we could. And what this would do is make it easier to sell power when we have excess power and to buy power when we're short and other areas have excess power. And that could be a huge help. You know, we're going through a real change in our electricity system right now we're trying to maintain affordability while decarbonizing the grid and maintaining a reliable system. And at the same time, not having to cut back our usage just because there isn't the sun's not shining. So we want convenience. And accomplishing all those and keeping the system affordable is a real challenge. Uh, there are things we can do, of course, that everybody knows about. Uh, using more wind and solar cuts down on carbon, But it's not always there, so we need batteries. Uh, But batteries are pretty expensive still. And one of the things, if we're using wind and solar, that really helps is when we have extra solar, which we do these days in the middle of the day, particularly uh, in the spring and fall, is to sell that to our neighbors and get some money for it. And at the same time, when the sun's setting, in California or before the sun rises in the morning or just if the wind stops blowing Having access to uh, resources outside the state helps to balance that.
0: Right. The fear, though, is that expanding the power grid is all well and good because, hey, more people are going to be charging electric vehicles into the grid to, to recharge. So we're going to need more power generation for that. But the the concern is that expanding the grid sounds like just another excuse to make our power bills go up.
5: Well, it's definitely not an excuse to make the power bills go up. In fact, the idea is to make the power bills go down or at least not go up nearly as much while we decarbonize the grid. Uh, So I I think this is actually a way to make it more affordable. If we're going to reach our decarbonization goals, we are going to have to make some real changes. And so what we're trying to do is get the right combination of more renewable power using batteries and trading with our neighbors to keep the cost as affordable as possible while phasing out those fossil fuel plants, which not only create greenhouse gases, but also create a lot of local pollution that has created the bad air in Los Angeles and in the Central Valley.
1: Okay. So this idea of expanding the grid, uh, making it easier to buy and sell power across the West sounds reasonable. So why not just start doing it? What's the holdup?
5: Well, you got to have some central entity that runs the grid. A grid is not like selling uh, televisions across a border. The whole grid has to always be in balance. And so we have an entity in California, the California Independent System Operator, and I'm on the board of governors of that. But it just controls the California area. Not even all of the California, Los Angeles Department of Water and Power runs its own grid. But if you're really going to have an efficient, amount of trading across those boundaries so that you can instantaneously start buying more from one area when another area when the cloud goes over the sun or the wind stops blowing you need to have a grid operator who can make those changes in seconds we don't have that across the entire west and so the discussion that's going on right now is how do we get to a point where we have more coordination across the entire west so that we can do these sorts of trades. And one of the possibilities, since California has the biggest grid operator, the California independent system operator, is to expand that to the rest of the Western US.
1: And how do the Uh, other states in the West feel about that?
5: Well, right now they are not going to buy in because the California independent system operator is overseen by the state california state legislature they approve all the members of the governing board and if you can imagine that if you're in nevada or arizona or wyoming uh, you're not going to have a grid operator who's run by another state so it would require a real change in governance so that this is not a california grid operator but a west wide grid operator where everyone is represented in the governance of the organization.
0: All right. Thank you so much. Uh, Severin Borenstein uh, from UC Berkeley. You are listening to KNX In Depth. I'm Rob Archer, along with Charles Feldman. Signing your name, an expression of who you are. But some people do not like their signatures. They Mm-mm. want to change them, but that's mm-hmm. easier said than done. Well, now there's a service to perform surgery on your John Hancock.
1: I beg your pardon? <laughs>
0: Uh, I think it's a wait, different wait, kind wait, wait, of wait. Surgery. surgery. Yeah, on my, what? Um, mm. on my that's a future segment on the show. Oh, okay. Uh, on uh, the line with us now, Priscilla Molina runs the LA-based business uh, Planet of Names. Thank you so much for joining us.
6: Thank you for having me.
0: So this is really just kind of a you're going to help people with their handwriting, right? Is that what this is really about? Yeah,
6: essentially, as well as promoting a personal branding for uh, the person that is requesting. Like you, the
0: you said, personal yeah. branding.
6: Mm-hmm. Right uh, what was that sorry about
1: that so so how so so somebody comes to you let's say I come to you and I say I don't like my my signature and actually I don't like my signature but I don't okay <laughs> uh, so so what do you do and how much is it going to cost me and do I have to sign anything?
6: Uh, so what I would do is um, depending on the package that uh, you purchase, if this was like a one-on-one, Um, It would be $55. I try to make it a bit accessible for everyone, um, just because I was a student myself that would have appreciated this. Um, And so we would just discuss what you would like your signature to look like, if there is a style preference, and if there is anything that you need me to know. For instance, you prefer something that's a bit more compact, you don't like too many flourishes, and then from there, I would send over drafts and um, concept ideas for a signature that you may uh, want to use, and we continue to modify it until it is the signature that you want to use. Now, uh, is it something
0: that eventually I would be able to do with my own handwriting and and kind of express the same kind of uh, branding signature? Uh,
6: I would say so, definitely. I would say so. I don't think uh, penmanship. Is that difficult to replicate, especially when um, there's stencils as well as a tutorial right. for you to uh, be able to go over it and see how it was uh, how, how it
0: was made? You know, because I'm thinking uh, going back. Uh Uh, There is something to be said for this because there is uh, some artists have used their signature as brands. We think of some of the fashion uh, designers, their signatures became like the brand logo. But in music, uh, going way back to Phil Collins, Phil Collins had this kind of cursive signature and that wound up on all of his albums at one point and in posters for him. So you recognize that that quote signature unquote as phil collins
1: i just find it interesting that your definition of way back yeah way back to phil collins (laughs) yeah yeah because
0: we're old
6: (laughs) (laughs) yeah no definitely i mean a lot of people also send me images of notable signatures like john Hancock that um they want to replicate for themselves in their own name on their lemon roll and then there's even some really uh, quirky celebrity autographs on, um, like especially stuff that you see very commonly in uh sport figures. Uh, sometimes there'll be like a number thrown into it or even an image, like a little cartoon.
1: Have you had a customer yet who you've said, you know, you're help you're totally helpless. There's, there's, there's no help. You're, you're, you're <laughs> go away. Yeah, there's no there's no way you're gonna change your signature. Just 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 sign your initials and go away. <laughs>
6: Um, I haven't received anyone that purchased a commission, but I do see that all the time on comments like on my videos, on social media. Other people saying that um, no one should be using this. Um, then, you know, the whole topic of forgery comes into play as well. And so, there well, well, been definitely well, wait a minute, but, that, but
1: Priscilla, that is actually a, a, a good question to raise. I mean, you okay. know, uh, not only forgery, but at a more sort of mundane level, I suppose. You know, uh, I know like when I vote and okay. I mail in my ballot, it says that it's going to be matched with my signature on file. Uh, so mm-hmm. if somebody changes their signature, do they have to go back on official records now and, and change their, their previous signatures so it matches? That sounds like it's a monumental task.
6: Um, Depending on what state as well as what country that you reside in, um, there may have to be some changes made. Um, A lot of people that I do receive orders from um, need it before a certain time because they want to put it on their passport, on their ID, um, or people that are looking to change it overall. And so we're already looking into this process as well.
1: So, I
0: assume you've done this for yourself. So, is there a place that we can see your signature to see uh, what kind of work you do?
6: Yeah, definitely. Um, My most, uh, the social media platform that I use frequently um, to show uh, live videos is TikTok, but I also do have an Instagram that shows like final work um, of designs that other clients are very comfortable with me having out there, which is um, both the same handle, planet of names.
1: Were you surprised when you started this business that people actually wanted it?
6: I did because it was um, only intended at the time. I was an undergraduate student at UC Irvine. And so it was something that I did during like the pandemic as like an artistic pursuit. And um, from there, I just received a lot of um, a lot of requests. And I decided to open a Shopify uh, account and when I noticed that it was becoming full time, I realized that there was a need, but also there wasn't a lot of other competitors that were doing um, something like I was. And if they were doing it, like if they were doing that, I noticed that a lot of the designs were a little too similar from other designs. And um, I just, I don't know, I was very confident in the different um, concepts, art concepts, especially in signatures that I was able to create for others and making sure that they weren't somewhat duplicate of
0: others right and and the name matters too though because i i I look at your name priscilla molina and i can see that Mm -hmm. i can see how that would be a nice cursive signature uh my name rob archer i guess you can do something with but like charles feldman i got problems making f's in cursive that would be a headache and a half do you ever run into somebody with a name that's just got so many weird letters in it it makes the work harder
6: Yes, Sorry, but Charles not Smith. impossible. <laughs> yes, but not impossible. The most difficult initials are CC for me personally. Right. Um. But there, there are a few, and but then again, I just find different ways that would be easy on the person who whose signature um going to be for. So there's a lot of different things to consider as well. But um, never impossible. I'd All right,
0: say. Uh, Priscilla. Thank you so much. Uh, before we let you go, can you sign off for us? <laughs> uh,
6: yeah. <so> th- <laughs> Of thank you so much. Um, all right, thank you. All
0: right, that uh, she runs a uh, LA-based business planner to name. So if you don't like your signature, you can just yeah, but, uh, b- have it d- done better.
1: Yeah, but I was listening to something you said before, and I was thinking, uh, what an interesting sort of pickup line. Excuse me, but can I see a, an example of your <laughs> of your signatures?
0: <laughs> I can see if your branding meets with my approval. That's it for KX in depth. We will be back tomorrow at one p.m.